0: Welcome to Talking with Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. What's going on, Rachel? Hey, Chris. How are you? It's been, a uh, like, for us, it's been a couple weeks that we've actually had had a chance to get together and chat because I was on vacation and then school started, and so we're actually getting back into the swing of things here. We took a few weeks off on the podcast um, uh, to kind of catch our breath, but now it's time. It's time to roll back into it.
1: And I need to talk to you. So <laughs> I'm happy we're doing this recording because I have a problem, Chris, and I need to talk it out with you.
0: Excellent, excellent, what's going on?
1: Okay, so I've been working with this team for a few years. Um, child is 10 years old, um, diagnosis of autism, using AAC, has some verbal approximations, but definitely you know, reliant on AAC in order to communicate. I very often work closely with ABA teams because they tend to have a lot of hours with the students that I work with. And so if I can train ABA on how to facilitate communication, then oftentimes they see a lot of progress um, just because sometimes they're with kids for 40 hours a week. Um, And so, you know, we know that training the circle of support is the best way to help students who are using AAC. And that is something that I really, you know, put into practice in, you know, the cases that I'm on and all of the work that I do.
0: I don't hear the problem. This sounds great. This is awesome. Sounds
1: (laughs) sounds great, right? Except it's not great because I'm working with a team, an ABA team who is very resistant to my recommendations. And let me explain a little bit more detail. Um, essentially, um, the biggest problem I see, there's like a few problems, the biggest problem I see though, and I've had other cases like this. um, So I want to talk it out is that a lot of the communication programming that they're running. So all of the kind of things that they're tracking data on and the programs that, and goals that they have, um, they're running them all for communication. They're running them all in a folder on the device with, you know, vocabulary specific to that you know goal. So for example, they have a programs folder on the device. You click on it, it opens up and then it has a folder that's called yes no. And when you open up that yes no folder, it has yes and it has no. And so they're working on, you know, yes no questions, but they're doing it in this folder that's in like no man's land that the child's not able to access on their own uh, and they're not navigating to it. So, you know, and then they have another folder, it's called WH questions. And so you open that folder and it has, you know, a handful of vocabulary. And so they're asking WH questions within these these folders. And so this has been a struggle of mine (laughs) for a while. I've talked about why that's not a good idea, <laughs> um, in a nice way. I, I wasn't, I didn't come in saying like, no, absolutely not. We can't do this programs folder. I was like, here are the problems I see with this folder. Um, you know, but let's, you know, compromise a little bit. Maybe, perhaps we figure out a way to both, you know, fulfill our needs. Um, and so we've kind of been like going back and forth. And I've tried to be like, okay, this is okay for now. And it's got to a point where literally the child is not making progress because all of the programs and all of the goals and all of the work that they're doing within this folder is not generalizing outside because he has literally no way to independently and navigate to the vocabulary they're teaching. And so it's just been, I'm kind of like enough is enough. (laughs) And like, again, like I'm approaching this with kindness and curiosity, and I'm trying to be as agreeable and uh, compromising as possible, but I have to draw the line when like my kid is literally not making progress because of what they're doing. And it feels like a huge waste of time because all of the skills that he's, you know, gaining in this folder aren't being generalized outside of the folder. Um, And so I just keep butting heads, I guess, with this ABA uh, team. And they keep kind of falling back on, well, we do things this way and we need, this is like an ABA supported you know, approach. And, and all I keep saying is like, he needs to learn the motor plans for this vocabulary. And you know, if he's not sequencing you know, the hits to get into the folder to then navigate independently, he doesn't have enough practice to actually learn where those words are. So it's just like it feels like double double work uh, for him. And you know, the efficiency part of my brain is like, "Oh my gosh, this is horrible." <laughs> and I just don't know we keep butting heads. We can't come to a compromise. We like, you know, I don't want that program's folder, but they want it. And I don't know what to do about it, Chris. <laughs>
0: Okay, so I have lots of thoughts about this, Rachel. And the the first thing is that, well, let's not forget that we're we're making a podcast here, right? So there's some information that we need to to get out before we get to like the coaching piece of this, like okay, what do I do? Because everything you just said, we should be explicitly clear like this is not the way you do AAC. Like if you're listening to this, we're not questioning like whether that's right or wrong. It's wrong to put things in a in a folder that way. And during our like, hiatus, Rachel, I went on a little journey myself where I started to look at um, ABA in general. And um, I tried to run ABA through my... Criteria, which I think is also Asha's criteria, not that I'm speaking for Asha, of what makes something evidence-based. You know, I've been burned before, where I'd find stuff that is research-based and find stuff that has, uh, meaning there's uh, research to support whatever the strategy is that we're we're putting in place. Sure, maybe there's research that supports putting uh, symbols in folders and navigate to it, and and your own research um, with for this particular student. I, I'm getting evidence that the student's making gains. Well, yes, but do those gains really matter? Hitting yes or no in a folder and doing that more consistently will never generalize to using it in natural context in a in a more robust AAC system. It just, and if it, if someone has evidence to to say no, Chris, you're wrong. There, I would love to see it. Do you know what I mean? But I just don't think there's any research. So ABA totally has research to back it, right? ABA totally has that um, second component, which is there's tons of professionals that have BCBA after their name. You know, it's certainly professionals that agree on it. But here's that spiritual journey, Rachel. This is where I got hung up over the last couple of weeks. I can't find anybody that says thank you. And what I mean by that is uh, years ago on this podcast, I asked anybody, I put the claim out, hey. Anyone, if there's any person out there that says that can come back to PEX and say PEX, thank you so much. That was the strategy that you that that got me to where I am today. Please, we'll have them on the podcast. We'll talk to them. Reach out to Chris. Reach out to us. Tell us um, this is the here. Meet this person. They'll tell you all about how PEX was so helpful. But I haven't. I have not. Uh, here's the claim again. Please. And I feel like that's the same thing with ABA. I, I can't find any, not one person that says this was the helpful thing for me, despite the fact that there are whole industries built around it, you know? I mean, you got to ask yourself this basic question, which is, what if Skinner was wrong? Not wrong, like the that works, behavior works, um, be, behavior works to build certain specific skills maybe, but as a general strategy to teach language... I can't find a single person that says thank you. And in fact, if you look on social media, there's a lot of people, specifically with autism, that say just the opposite. They say, no, thank you. no, Don't do that anymore. So that's my hard line on that, right? But that doesn't necessarily help your situation because you're not about to march in and go, hey, uh, ABA people that spent years of your life building a, a, a practice and... Um, and uh, are completely committed to this, and you're not going to listen to me as the speech therapist to come in and tell you to change your life, uh, that's not going to happen. So how do we actually help this this particular student? So this is where I'm transitioning over to asking you some questions. And the first one is, my guess is that the parents hired you to come in. So what's their take on the entire system?
1: Uh, parents are in total agreement with me. but But recognize that, like, we have to get along, right? Like we have to figure something out because there's a lot of value that, you know, they can provide. Um, but when it comes to communication, I just don't, I think we're taking steps backwards. It feels like it's not even, I I almost would rather them not target communication in a formal way. Like, of course, like support communication in between activities and throughout, um, as a, as you know, the student needs to communicate, but like don't run a yes no program (laughs) you know like don't run it this way like it just feels like develop play skills or you know something else (laughs) use your time you know more wisely
0: do you think the parents would communicate that could they be an ally there, saying that instead of spending your minutes doing this spend your minutes doing that and they might listen because it's i'm guessing the parents are fitting the bill here right yes
1: this has already been implemented this the conversation just keeps kind of going in circles And so, yes, the parents have communicated all these things, but we keep going in circles back to this is the way ABA does things, and we need to do things for specific reasons for insurance reimbursement, and this is the way we do things.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. This is the way we've always done it. And look, according to our data, the the student is actually gaining skills here, right? We're 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 actually making progress, Um, but it's progress that doesn't matter. You know,
1: that is the most frustrating thing to me, Chris. Is like. We all know that data is important to you know prove or deny that things are working, but we have to think about the context of that data. You know, like what does that data look like? Oh, like when there's only two options, there's eighty percent accuracy. <clears throat> and I feel like what I'm seeing is that that eighty percent accuracy maybe that meets their criterion. He's got yes no questions. You open it up to the full language system, and he does not have eighty percent accuracy. He has a very like low accuracy and it's because like we're doing two different things here and we're expecting them to kind of like automatically generalize and it just doesn't. And so for me, and I will always go back to this, track spontaneous language. What is a child actually saying spontaneously on their own? That's how you know the work that you're doing is, is making a difference. Um, because if we're not training kids to be independent, autonomous communicators, like what are we actually doing? Like, sure. Like maybe a child can follow these prompts and models and you know, all these things. But when we strip all that away, if we are, we're not left with anything, then we're not doing our job. And so, you know, I can't reiterate enough how important spontaneous language tracking is. um, It's literally the most important piece of data I can take um, because it tells me if the work I'm doing actually is generalizing to, you know, independent communication.
0: It's sort of like uh, if I were to go take one of my kids and say, hey, Tucker, Maggie, I need you to walk in circles. Okay, now swing your arms when you walk in circles. And I'm going to count how fast you can walk in circles. And they would go do it and they would okay dad i'm walking faster cuz i'm swinging my arms okay great and look at look at the data he's well, he's walking in circles faster because he's swinging his arms see how great of a therapist i am cuz look he's swinging his arms and i told him to do that who cares that you're walking in circles and swinging your arms like that's not doesn't mean anything to anybody uh you're, there's he's not going to be a, a the olympic walking in circles person do you know what i mean like it doesn't help anything so let me ask um when you show the data on, on like general language, what, what kind of feedback do you get from, from the, the other therapists, you know, like here's my language sample, for instance, you know, um, and I'm trying to measure MLU, let's say mean length of utterance, uh, how, how, again, I know you know what MLU is, but if someone's listening, you know, how long, what's the average length of, uh, of someone's, um, how many words they're stringing together, how many morphemes they're stringing together, um, if you presented that sort of data to them, what what's the reaction or what do you think the reaction would be? I already
1: tried it. already did it. <laughs> already said, here's, what's, here's what we're seeing spontaneously. Um, and that's, I think, part of the problem with um, some ABA you know, professionals is that there's such a high level of prompting and cueing and errorless learning, right? It's like, oh, we'll do it errorlessly. We'll tell them exactly what to say and they'll say it back and that's success. Right. Uh, Which I feel like as speech language pathologists, like we literally do the opposite. (laughs) It's like the prompting hierarchy is not most to least, it's least to most. And so it's just like, it's really hard because they, they give such levels of support in order to see progress. Um, So it's like, oh, they can do this, 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 and this. Um, So it just always goes back to like, oh, well, we're seeing them, you know, answer yes, no questions. But when I actually look and see and observe that, I'm like, well, first of all, like there's only two options and you've already asked that yes, no question like 10 times in a row. So like, of course, like he's memorized to say yes. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And let alone the level of complexity between a yes, you know, how you're, what the type of question is, you know, like, um, is this a dog? Yes or no is a lot more, um, concrete than are you hungry? Well, now I got to think about like how I feel or, um, I don't know, there's such a high level of complexity there that you could ask uh, somebody a yes, no question that, um, it's really, and again, sort of irrelevant if you're not really using it in the, in the real world. Um, OK, well, let me ask, do you feel like one of the reasons they uh, feel so passionate about their methodology is that they have seen it work for other skills like kid couldn't brush his teeth before, but now we've gone through ABA and look, he's brushing his teeth independently. Um, same thing with maybe like toileting. You know, I could see how that would be like a way to help somebody learn potentially and um, to to do a skill like a very like a finite skill like that, where language is so different than that, is that maybe where the rub is? Well, that's a skill, and this is a skill, so um, I I equate those as equal. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's totally part of it. I also think that,
1: and this oftentimes happens when you're collaborating with professionals um, and you're hitting a roadblock, is that people have an ego. So people think like, this is the way I do things and this is what we do. They're not open to suggestions. They're not open to learning or growing. And so I think that that's part of the problem here is that, you know, there's not a lot of openness to what it is that they're like, the lens through which they're thinking through. Um, And, you know, they probably don't have a lot of experience with children who are using AAC and they don't know kind of what we know as you know clinicians who have worked so you know closely with a lot of AAC communicators. Um, there's an extra layer um, with the AAC system, and so I think that that all contributes to potentially some of these roadblocks, um, which is just hard because when you're you're up against a professional who is just like this is what I do, and they're not open to collaboration or compromise, then you just keep hitting a wall.
0: You work with a lot of different students. You've worked with a lot of different families and students over the years. I know that um, some of them have given you permission to record some of those experiences because we use them in some of our trainings, uh, like on coaching, for instance. Do you think you have any bank of video or even a a former client or a current client that could meet with them that would be an illustration of like, you know this is what we're actually shooting for. This student is actually using generative language on their communication device. And this student is similar to that student. Do you, you, one, do you have it? And then two, what do you think would be the, um, the outcome there?
1: Well, I, so yes, I think I could probably share something like that. Um, I am so grateful to all my families who are like, yes, you can record and share so you can teach. Um, so thank you. Any of my clients who are listening, but Part of it is that, so I have a clinician who is seeing him weekly, twice a week, she goes in and sees him in his home and overlaps with, you know, ABA and shows them strategies and how to, you know, work on generative language. And the things that she's working on are generalizing. (laughs) So like, he's now, you know, combining words. He's saying give with a noun, um, he's saying go with a place. And so it's just like. See, it is working like what we're seeing is like is working, (laughs) you know, how we're, you know, approaching his communication development is working. Um, I just don't think it it just, it feels just like one of these situations where I feel like I've tried everything and I think that sometimes it's just like, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I've literally tried everything I can think of. I've tried to be super agreeable and compromising. Um, I've communicated my thoughts and I'm not sure, I'm not sure what else to do. Um, We did kind of try to strike a compromise where I said, okay, if you're going to use these folders, at least can we set up these folders to support motor planning? So like whatever the location of the button is, you know, open is on the homepage, it's at least in the same location, on this you know, folder. So at least he's like kind of learning where the locations of the buttons are in an attempt to learn the motor plan. And they're like, yes, we can do that. I was like, okay, good. Let's do that. And I was like, then once you like, master a program in that programs folder can we then add another program for generalization so if he has to answer a yes no question and he meets the criterion in the programs folder we then move it out and so he has to meet that criterion you know on the home page so he actually generalizes the same skill that you just taught you know in a more you know scaffolded support kind of way in this folder and so Yet to be determined if they're gonna go for that. (laughs) Um,
0: Okay, I was gonna say that that seems like a good move.
1: I'm just like trying to do anything I can to to, fix the situation, but it's been hard.
0: I hope they say yes to that because then the next question is, you you know, now that we've done that with yes/no, can we do that with other words? And actually, why didn't we just start there in the first place? One last thought there is, again, back to the parents. Is there any chance of moving the student to a a more agreeable placement
1: you know i know that like feels like perhaps in the future i'm not quite sure um i could talk about this all day chris i'm like i'm probably gonna have to circle back to it (laughs) because it's just like this like thorn in my like practice um so let's talk about what our what our interview is today it's not an interview it's a talking with tech live right
0: That's right. This is uh, Talking with Tech Live we did for Closing the Gap last year. We've got a new Closing the Gap presentation coming up for a pre-conference coming up in October. Uh, So check that out. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. This is the first of a three-part episode where you're going to be listening to Talking with Tech Live from Closing the Gap. Great news everybody, we're going to be presenting a pre-conference workshop for Closing the Gap called Designing and Delivering Empowering Experiences to Teach Language Using AAC.
1: This six-hour virtual workshop takes place over two days, October 7th and 8th from 1 to 4 p.m. Central Time on each day.
0: This interactive workshop explores strategies for teaching students of all ages language by engineering environments, so all communicators have opportunities for rich, meaningful practice in the context of everyday routines.
1: Participants will get to explore how to design experiences using interactive technologies, which empower the student and their support network, putting them on the path to achieve their lifelong language goals.
0: During the workshop, we're going to take an in-depth look at building the skills of communication partners through structured training centered on both consulting and coaching.
1: We'll be sharing the latest tools and strategies for establishing a culture of language learning using AAC. Everybody loves engaging tools.
0: You can sign up now by going to bit.ly/designAAC. That's bit.ly/designAAC.
1: Can't wait to see you guys there.
0: Oh, and there's one more thing to mention, Rachel. What's that, Chris? I'm actually doing two pre-conferences on those days. I'll be presenting with the other authors of the new Inclusive Learning 365 book as well. The title of that pre-conference is Inclusive Learning 365, Breaking Down Barriers and Creating a Culture of Inclusivity by Design. That pre-conference is also on October 7th and October 8th, 2021, but it will be at 9 to 12 Central Time on those days. If you'd like to learn more about how to redesign educational experiences through an inclusive lens, then you can register for that pre-conference by going to bit.ly inclusivectg. That's bit.ly inclusivectg. Come spend the whole day with me. See you there. Welcome to Closing the Gap Solutions. This webinar, Talking with Tech Live, Brainstorming Solutions to Real-Life AAC Questions was recorded December 2nd, 2020 and was presented by Christopher Bouguet and Rachel Maydell. Christopher is a founding member of the Assistive Technology Team for Loudoun County Public Schools. Rachel is a Los Angeles-based speech-language pathologist and communication expert. They are co-hosts on the Talking with Tech podcast that focuses on best practices in AAC. Screen. This is Talking with Tech Live. Um, you can get the slides. Rachel posted it there, Talking with Tech Live a slide. So bit.oy slash talking with tech live slides. Rachel, do you want to talk about who you are real quick?
1: I sure can. I'm Rachel Madel. I'm an SLP. I focus and specialize on uh, technology for communication. Um, I do a lot of work with children with autism. I have a private practice in Los Angeles. Um, And of course I co-host the talking with tech podcast with Chris Bouguet. So you can see all the other things that I do on the next slide. None of them are relevant really to today's conversation, Um, but there's a link at the bottom to all my disclosures But again, not super relevant to today. Um, Also, there's all those ways that you can connect with me. I share a lot on social media. Instagram is my preferred platform. I share a lot of coaching. I've been really into parent coaching since all of COVID-19 hit. And so I've been sharing a lot of clips from my sessions of parent coaching and kind of helping clinicians figure out how to coach. Because that's what we do with our AAC kids. Oftentimes, uh, via telepractice is learning how to coach communication partners.
0: And so my name is Chris Bouguet. I've grown my hair out since that picture's been taken and since COVID, um, uh, which I know Rachel loves, my wife loves, everybody's a super fan of my long hair. Yep. <laughs> yep, look at that excitement. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, and yeah, what do I do? I work for Loudoun County public schools, which is in the Northern Virginia area. I'm the assistive technology specialist, but I kind of hate that, that term. Um, I much rather think of myself as an inclusive design facilitator, someone that helps uh, educators design educational experiences for everybody. Um, for years, I did a podcast called the AT tips cast. Um, I continue to do a podcast, um, with my wife, called Nightlight Stories, which is um, a original children's stories that we put out for free. Her, she and I write them, and then we put them out as a podcast. And then I do the Talking with Tech podcast, with, which is which with Rachel. Um, I've had the the great fortune to write a couple books. Um, the most recent is the New Assistive Tech: Make Learning Awesome for All. And um, previous prior to that was uh, the Practical and Fun Guide to Assisted Technology in Public Schools. Um, yeah, so there's a picture of the the most recent book from uh, the International Society for Technology Education. I got to get all these disclosures out. And then you can see all the other disclosures on that website down there. Uh, Again, maybe nothing relevant to today, but who knows, Rachel, right? Because this presentation is not really about us talking to you so much as it is us talking together. Um, and then there's one last little big reveal that I wanted to share is that um, just before the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, I turned in this draft with my co-authors um, to ISTE, the International Society for Technology Education. That's our publisher. We just put um, uh, this. To, we just sent it off to the publisher. This new book that's going to be coming out probably around May, but you can order now um, the Inclusive Learning 365. And the idea here is that it's a uh, It's like every day you can read one page a day, a little drop of learning every day to learn about new ed tech strategies that um, can help you and help others design educational experiences. And I'll speak to David because I know him, but I'm curious, Kristen and um, Deborah and everyone else who's in here, the idea behind this book is really more for the general education teacher, the people that we wish we could talk to more frequently. Um, and we don't we often work in special education, not uh, general ed. Um, and we it, the only way we get to inclusion is if we invite those general ed friends in. And so that's what we're targeting here. So, OK. And then the podcast, Rachel, what do we do with that? Wow. guys have David on.
1: It's true. Well, we have lots of people like David and other people who we interview and it's all about AAC. We've been doing the podcast for three years now, which feels insane, Chris. Uh, I can't believe that we have been doing this podcast for so long, Um, but it's completely free, uh, which is always the best price. And um, every week you hear Chris and I talk about You know, a lot of things AAC related. Chris oftentimes will talk about assistive technology and teach me all his ways and all of his know-how. Sometimes we have interviews. Um, We actually um, are really excited about having a lot of AAC users on themselves. Um, There's no better way, I feel like, to inform the way that we teach AAC than to listen to adults who use AAC. Um, so there's lots of different kinds of episodes, but um, completely free. And you can see there's our website if you want to check us out.
0: And we have t-shirts. Talking with tech, buy the t-shirt.
1: <laughs> it's true, we do. We have a store with these t-shirts now. It's going to be added to our website hopefully, hopefully soon. Um, but I can put that in the link if you guys want to check it out, get some, some swag.
0: <laughs> Um, All right, so you should know that this particular webinar um, is being recorded, like like Becky said. But not only is it being recorded, but we're going to take that recording and we're going to put it out on the podcast. That's right, David. You're going to be in two episodes of the podcast at least. Um, so so uh, we don't want to scare you away. The idea here is to invite you in and share your experiences, share your questions, share what you've learned, share what's going on in your neck of the woods. Um, this is going to be a huge giant share fest of us, um, you know, Brainstorming together solutions to problems that we're having, but we like to give you let, let everyone know that you will be on the podcast And you be a superstar <laughs> so um, those of you that are here right now feel free to click on this link the way it's going to work is um, Rachel and I are going to do a kind of a maybe a 15 20 minute overview of some of the Um, prescient topics around AAC. And then we're gonna dive into questions that that you submit. Um, And those questions, when we say we're gonna dive in, what we mean is we're gonna invite all of us to dive in. So if you'd like, you can um, uh, type into the chat. Uh, If you go to this link, I'm gonna click on it now, you can also submit your question right here on this form. And that form feeds a spreadsheet which is linked um, later on. We'll get to the spreadsheet. You'll be able to, to, to see it and, and write in it. Um, but right here, I'm gonna click on that spreadsheet so you can see it. Your questions populate this spreadsheet. So um, when you put a question in, that's where it'll show up. But you're invited to not only put your responses in the chat but, or put your, put your commentary in the chat, you have access to all of these columns over here where you can put your responses as well. Um, so let's say David asks a question. It'll show up here and Leslie wants to chime in or Uday wants to chime in. Well, one, you can come on. We can unmute our, you can unmute your mic and talk about it. That's an option for you. Two, you can comment in the chat, but we prefer if you're gonna put comments is to put them over here in this spreadsheet and we'll keep that spreadsheet forever. Just to give you a visualization of what that looks like, this is the third time we've actually done this. Um, the first two times are in these tabs down here at the bottom. So we did this for New Jersey and you can actually see po- people posted the questions and then other people put responses in there and it was a great give and take. We did it um, just before Thanksgiving, we did it uh, and in, uh, in the Access to Education Conference, which is in, um, Indian- in Indianapolis, yeah, Indianapolis. And so again, great conversation here. So lots of ways to engage. Did I miss anything, Rachel?
1: No, it's just a really useful way. I think oftentimes what happens when you have these really rich discussions is you know you mention a tool or a website or something, and it's really nice because this spreadsheet is is a way to house all the information. You can go back to it. you can click on the links, you can share links. Um, and so that was kind of the purpose of using this spreadsheet was because we wanted a place to go back and you know, look over all of the the tools and ideas and strategies that people have shared.
0: We're gonna share this link again. We have it actually a couple times in the in the presentation, but we wanted to get you thinking now. And as we talk through the next couple of slides, if you, a question pops up for you, feel free to put it in that Google form. Uh, click on this link and put it in the Google form. So, so these are, like I said, this is kind of like precursor uh, information. We wanted to kind of set the tone for what the conversations would be like and really talk about some of the, what we think of our, maybe the 101 or basics of AAC. And this is um, what we wanted to start off with is, as you hear us talk, as you share with each other, I know um, this is for closing the gap and closing the gap just had this amazing um, uh, conference that just happened and you're gonna go on and you're gonna go to other conferences and you're gonna um, talk to other professionals. And as you do that, as you're taking in this information and you're learning strategies, I feel like there's three criteria we need to use to at least these are three criteria I use and I think Rachel uses to, to kind of say, is what I'm hearing a valid thing that I should be spending my time on and that I should be using with this, the students I serve, the parents I serve, the families I serve. So these three things like, is this a good strategy or not are one, is it research-based? Like does it, what's the research telling us? And that's fairly obvious, I bet everyone here knows, yeah, we have to do something that's based in science, right? The second thing is, well, what are the professionals telling us? I mean, I'm hearing from these conferences, you know, Chris and Rachel and and other people here are going to be sharing strategies. Um, So these professionals are saying this is a good thing. So those are two criteria. But this third component is one that I think we leave out quite frequently. Um, And it's, I think, maybe possibly the most important one, which is What are the people who are using AAC or really any strategy we employ, what are they saying work for us, you know? Um, And that's one of the reasons Rachel sort of mentioned, she mentioned the idea that uh, the Talking With Tech podcast sort of has this mission to bring on people who use AAC so we can learn from them. So let me ask you real quick, Deborah and Leslie and Kristen and David and Uday, how many proficient users of AAC do you know? Can you put it in the chat? I keep looking over here because my chat's on the other side of the screen. <laughs> but, um, how many proficient users of AAC? Like they can say anything they want to say to anywhere, anyone. she knows a total of three. That's a lot, Deborah. Great. Kristen, David, Leslie, Uday. Kristen says zero, right?
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: Kristen, I bet you're meant to help people with it. Right? You're an SLP, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we know where we're going unless we learn from these people who have been there? Yeah, wow, David says one, uday says zero exactly so that's that's why uh, so too many times in my career have I been fooled where I listened to a a strategy because a professional told me I should be doing it, maybe I can even find some research to support it, but I couldn't find anybody necessarily that who said thank you, thank you for employing the strategy with me because it helped. And so that's why I think it's a synergy of these three things. And not the only one, that link down there at the bottom says evidence-based practice. When you click on that link, it takes you to ASHA, the American Speech and Hearing Association, and they say the same things. The way we categorize something as evidence-based practice is it has to meet all three of these criteria, not just two of them, all three.
1: So, again, Chris And I are just setting a foundation we've realized from experience that we need to make sure that everybody understands a few things about AAC so we're all on a shared common ground um and so I like to share this slide because I think the first two are pretty self-explanatory those are the the reasons you know uh, someone doesn't have verbal speech or speech is severe speech intelligibility severely um decreased. That makes sense for AAC, but I really want to focus on number three and number four. So, you know, when you work with a student who might have some verbal speech, but their vocabulary is severely limited, perfect candidate for AAC. Um, and this is where there's a lot of discrepancies, especially within school teams. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with teachers and even other SLPs who are saying like, well, why would we do AAC? If they have speech. Like they can talk, they can imitate. Um, And so that leads me to number four, high level of scripted phrases. As I had mentioned earlier, I do a lot of work with children with autism. And oftentimes the kids that I work with, they can imitate anything. I could, you know, have a seven or eight word sentence, and they could repeat it back perfectly, but they're not using language functionally. And so AAC can be a really great tool to build receptive understanding of more abstract language concepts, um, you know, and also give a backup means for communication. Just because a child has speech sometimes doesn't mean they have speech all the time. Um, and so having the augmentative piece um, is really important to support learners um, in a variety of different ways so that they communicate with their speech when it comes easily and they want to, um, but they also have a backup means to communicate.
0: I think, too, um, that there's a hidden fifth one that we didn't put on this slide, but there's a fifth one that you might consider, and that is the idea that uh, if all the research points to AAC can do no harm, like providing AAC does no harm to a student, Uh, in fact, all it can ever do is help then is there ever a reason not to provide it? So that that really comes to the question of, if anyone has brought up, "Hmm, I wonder if this kid might need AAC, then they probably need AAC. You can't go wrong by giving it to them. Um, There might be different flavors of where you could do better, but the idea is that you're providing AAC, you can't ever do any harm. So if anyone brings it up, do it.
1: Exactly. And speaking of that, there's no prerequisites for high-tech AAC. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten emails um, or read reports even um, that come across my desk saying, you know, child didn't get to this level of PEX or wasn't able to just demonstrate fill in the blank. Um, We know that kids learn how to use high-tech AAC by actually giving the opportunity to, and not just for, you know, two hours during an assessment, but through the trialing process that sometimes can take months, um, you know, for students to learn, you know, if we never give kids the device and teach them how to use it, how could we ever expect them to be able to communicate using high-tech AAC? Um, And so I think it's really important to just reiterate that there are no prerequisites. Um, Kids learn how to use devices by actually getting the chance to use devices.
0: So this is sort of an interesting concept, and this is the idea that from it's called AAC, right, Augmentative Alternative Communication. And for years, um, I think what that has meant to a lot of people is, well, if I give them a board and it has goldfish on it, and they point to goldfish, and then they give them a goldfish cracker, then. That, that's AAC and it is, they're not wrong that you've, you've successfully facilitated a communication experience using something other than speech. Um, and so the, the shift that, we, that we're pulling for, and I think that has happened is towards the language where the idea is that we're not necessarily focusing, at, focusing as much on the concept of communication and focusing more on language. And so what does that mean? Like if we really wanna teach somebody language, that means they need to know a lot of words and they need to know the little parts of words, like like the ly's and ing and ed, and um, then they need to be able to take those words and put them in order with other words and recognize that they they um they have different meanings when you put them together. Um, and that's that that shifts the focus to a much more uh, I, a greater scope about generating language and teaching language than just simple communication. I, don't, I also wanna say, I don't wanna throw out necessarily that we have to focus on communication as well. Uh, Rachel always talks about um, like uh, putting the high frequency um, uh, words that are personal to a student on their communication device, right? Or something that's slang and hip or cool so they can uh, talk with their peers, right? Like Lit is your always your example, Rachel, right? Yep. Um, recently, we, we We did a podcast episode where we were talking about sus, you know? So sus, anyone know (laughs) what we're talking about? You taught me that one. Yeah. If you don't know what sus means, put it in the chat if you know what sus means. Or if you don't know what sus means, put that in the chat too. I have no idea what sus means.
1: (laughs) All right. So this is always the goal with uh, AAC, and that is spontaneous novel utterance generation, which is just a fancy acronym um, to say that we want to give AAC users the ability that all of us have um, who are speaking, which is to say whatever we want to say, whenever we want to say it, however we want to say it to whoever we wanna say it, we give them that access. Um, And so it's really important that we think through this lens when we're thinking about AAC, um, and especially when we're thinking about what devices that we're going to potentially trial or provide for a student, um, are they able to support SNUG? Um, Most people know the spontaneous and the utterance generation, but Chris, where do people get stuck with this acronym?
0: The novel piece—it's where they get lost in the novel, right? Was, uh, we can always generate. In fact, let's. Do you think we should use a quick example here, Rachel? Yeah, I think sure. we should. So, is there someone who would like to volunteer? Come on, come we on, need on to a volunteer—a bra- brave soul to come on, come on, on Mike for a second. Don't worry, we're not going to test you or embarrass you in any sort of way. <laughs> well, at least I'm not. I can't. I can't speak for Rachel. Hey,
1: you're the you're the sneaky one, okay? In this duo.
0: Any volunteers who want to come on mic?
1: You can also just put it in the chat. Oh, we got someone, Leslie.
0: <laughs> well, I, I was going to say I'm walking with a mask on, but I'm happy yeah. to try. <laughs> we appreciate the effort. All right, Deborah, here's the test. Right? It's Leslie. It's Leslie. Is it Leslie or Deborah? I, oh wait, no. Sorry. <laughs> I think well, no worries. It's Deborah. <laughs> um, we'll get you next time, Leslie. So, Deborah, can you think? of a sentence and just tell us a sentence anything that's anything any sentence the, the squirrel is passing me by the squirrel is passing me she walked to someplace, and she sees the squirrel <laughs> the squirrel is passing me by um thank you for joining us deborah so let's run it past the snug test rachel let's see do we all think that is spontaneous um Chris, Mitch, katie put it in the chat do you think that deborah and Phil and I were texting beforehand and going, okay, Deborah, let's, let's fake it. You know, let's make sure that, uh, that when you're going to the one that's going to volunteer, when we, when we get to this part of the webinar, right. Or do you think maybe we just did that spontaneously? What do you think everybody? (laughs) Totally Katie, right? (laughs) Katie's (laughs) your friend. (laughs) (laughs) Katie. (laughs) <laughs> totally spontaneous, and that sentence right was spontaneous we didn't ask you to come up with something beforehand uh deborah yes you're you right there's not some we can't see you right now but there's not like someone controlling you with a video controller you're not a puppet with somebody like ho- ho- i don't know pulling your sh- a pinocchio i don't you're think you, so you, right so <laughs> yeah. you uttered it you generated those thoughts came from your head so, Deborah, here's the last question. What was your sentence again? Um, the squirrel is passing me by. The squirrel is passing me by. And so the question here is that, is that novel. Um, have we heard those words before, put in that order before, ever before, in the history of the world on this planet? Right? What do we think?
1: Put it in the chat. Put Has the anyone chat? ever said those words in that order?
0: David says it's novel. He's never heard those words put in that order before. Mitch says it's novel.
1: <laughs> I like Gary's sense of humor.
0: <laughs> Gary says, no, but my dog did it this morning. Yeah, so it, it, it might be novel in that those words have never been uttered before. It is possible that someone has said those words in that, in that before. Katie's never heard it, that sentence before. We can make darn sure if we made it super weird, right? If we were like the purple squirrel with with uh, polka dots on its forehead was ran up the tree in front of me, you know, we could add some words to it to make it to, to be certain that it was novel. But the point is, is that Deborah demonstrated that ability. And I just demonstrated that ability by adding those words. And if we asked any of you to demonstrate that ability, you could demonstrate that ability too. And if we had that ability, then why wouldn't we assume that students can someday have that ability too, all of our learners can have that ability too, if given enough time, given the right tools, and given enough of the right instruction.